Good morning once again. It's good to see everybody. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians? If you're new with us, welcome. It's good to see you. To let you know, we have started a new study here at Calvary, a study in the epistle to the Philippians. But uh, instead of going verse by verse through Philippians, which is really our normal style of teaching here at Calvary Chapel, we're going to do it uh, a topical study uh, in this book or through this book. As we have said, every book in the New Testament has a theme, and the theme of the book of Philippians is joy, joy. And uh, I've already taught the book of Philippians verse by verse here at Calvary. You can go online and check that out if you'd like. Um, so with this study, I want to take the main theme of joy and build a study topically around that theme. And so what I did, just to kind of let the new folks know, uh, what I did was I used the concordance resource in my computer Bible program, and I searched through Philippians to find all the places in the book where the word joy and rejoice appeared. Then I went to each of those verses, and I studied the passages, uh, the passage to determine what the context was, uh, which Paul was using the con concept of joy in, uh, you know, checking it out, and uh, what was the context. You want to make sure you just don't pull it out of context. So I made sure I studied each of the places in the new in the book where joy rejoice appeared, studied those places, the context. And then I put uh, each passage under a uh, specific heading. And those headings will become the main points I want to build this series around. So last, last time we, we started looking at the first uh, main point, first heading uh, in our out, of our outline, and it was joy in fellowship. Joy in fellowship. Now for this, you got to turn to chapter 1. And we'll first of all read verses 3 to 5. So joy in fellowship. Philippians 1 verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So the word joy appears in verse 4, and it's connected to what comes after it in verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And guys, this becomes the main thought of this passage, joy for your fellowship. Joy for your fellowship. Now, the Greek word translated fellowship is koinonia. We looked at this last time, just reviewing a little bit. Uh, it's a word we really don't have an English equivalent for, which means we have to use several words in the English to capture the meaning of this one Greek word. It basically means having things in common. Having things in common. Okay, great, but what does that look like in the real world? What are the practical applications for this idea of fellowship? Well, it basically means the sharing of one's life and possessions with another. Uh, it speaks of their unity, uh, their oneness, the intimacy they had, the love they shared. It describes lives that were interconnected with each other, lives that were dependent on one another. As we said last time, koinonia has a variant that is closely related to it. It's the Greek word koinonikos, which is the word for generous. And as we said, we're talking about something that God has ordained uh, and something that is in his nature. You remember now, God is a trinity. 
So by very definition of who he is, there is fellowship. There is fellowship. And God extended that idea of fellowship to his creation, to human beings made in his image. And the idea is that if we, not if, we who are saved have the Holy Spirit within us. God's nature has come inside. And all that is in the nature of God in the sense of love and joy and peace. Fruits of the Spirit are in us now. But other qualities that, that go to God, uh, with God to mercy and grace and generosity. We know as believers that once we got saved, you might have been a very generous person before you got saved. There's a lot of unbelievers who are generous people. But I've known Christians who were stingy guts before they got saved, and now they're just the most giving, generous people in the world. Why? Because God's Spirit is in them, and God has changed them from the inside out. Now, we see this exemplified in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. You don't have to turn to these because uh, we read them last time, but I want to just read them to you again to, by way of review. So I'll read these to you first of all. Acts, we're, we're trying to see how this um, fellowship worked its way out in the lives of the early church. And we see it here in these two uh, passages, Acts 2, verses 44 and 45 which says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, there's that Greek word, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. If you're in the neighborhood, go ahead and turn to Acts 4, and we'll read, first of all, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. See, they were connected they were in they were one with each other neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own but they had all things in common nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of these things that were sold and laid them at the apostles feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Now we talked about this last week in at length, so you can go online and listen to the full uh, teaching. But I just want to bring out, since we've read these verses again, uh, there are people that read these verses uh, and 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 will tell you that well, the early church practiced a form of communism. We see it right here, and they'll point this out that the early church practiced a communal life, a communistic life. And therefore, if we want to be like the early church, we have to practice this kind of a communal or a form of communism kind of life too. Those early believers didn't practice communism. They practiced what we have called communism. They had all things in common, which means they shared their possessions with each other voluntarily out of love, not by constraint or compulsion. A big difference. Communism says, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. Communism says, what's mine is yours, I'll share it. And there's a big difference, obviously. Okay, You can go online and check out the entire message from last week. So guys, when we talk about fellowship, biblically speaking, the Bible lifts up fellowship as being one with each other. One with each other. As in really getting to know people in the body of Christ, um, really getting to know people in your church to the point where you know who they are and what they're going through. 
Now, trust me when I tell you, we're not pushing some kind of a weird thing where we need to camp out of each, outside each other's houses and keep an eye on everybody to make sure we know what's going on to be involved in their life. That's a little too much involvement. I think we have laws against that. So be careful, okay? You, you might get uh, called, uh, the cops come and get you. Anyways, um, but this idea, we have to know each other if we're going to care about each other. Uh, pastors today uh, like to refer to it as the church needs to be a community, a community. Now, that's important. In fact, it's vital. Uh, if we're going to fulfill what God commanded us in his word on the subject, and I'm going to quote out of uh, Romans 12. You can check out the whole chat. It's worth your reading to read Romans 12. We'll eventually get to it in a couple of 15, 20 years on uh, Wednesday. But uh, Just hang in there. But, but this is important. You, you, you know, if, you, if we're going to fulfill what God has commanded us uh, in, 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 in these verses in Romans, you've got to know people. And here's what Paul said. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, distributing to the needs of the saints. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Uh, one thing is for sure. You can't reach this level of closeness and intimacy if people don't spend time with each other getting to know one another. I mean, these early Christians met with each other throughout the week from house to house. Check out Acts 2.46. Now, I realize that um, they lived a long time ago um, in a different part of the world, in a different culture. They lived in agrarian lifestyle, agriculture, farming. And that kind of lifestyle precipitates more community involvement than our life today where people will work from home in their den looking at a computer all day. That's a problem. So I'm not saying we can ever replicate perfectly the kind of oneness they had with each other. But let's try to shoot for something deeper than we have right now. Okay, that's the goal. But they had all things in common. They, they went from house to house throughout the week. They ate together. Many of them worked together. Paul worked with Aquila and Priscilla, a couple that uh, were believers and helped him in ministry. But they worked together at one point, and he worked with other believers as well. But guys, their lives were so close and intertwined with each other that when somebody had a need, others knew about it. And then if anyone could, people met, uh, mobilized to meet that need. Look, it's impossible to achieve this level of intimacy with other believers from just Sunday morning. I mean, you may think it's possible. I'm going to tell you it's not. Sunday morning is great. Glad you're here. Please still come. But you're not going to reach the level of intimacy that biblical fellowship requires by just coming and meeting with people on Sunday morning. As important as this, as this is. But um, we have to know each other. If we're going to care about each other. If we're going to meet each other's needs. I was telling First Service that years ago, we had a couple in the church. They had five kids. And one day he wigged out and just left his family. Left her high and dry with five kids. Now, we help with incidentals. We help with all, you know, food and stuff like that. But there were some needs I didn't even know. All of a sudden, I find out her fridge went out. 
but somebody's already bought her a fridge. Her, her stove went out. Somebody stepped up to buy her a stove. I realize that not everybody in the church can buy a fridge or a stove. My point is, though, that if you know somebody, you know their needs. And if you can't financially help, you can pray. You can come alongside them and just encourage them. You can make them a meal. This is how we are connected to each other in Christian fellowship. Guys, we have become so independent as a society, and this has spilled over into the church. We have become so disconnected as a society with one another, uh, so independent, um, and so superficial, oftentimes, in our relationships with one another. Uh, it's forced many Christians to go and seek counsel outside the church. Many times from unbelievers because they so desperately need somebody to bear their burdens a little bit, talk to, share what's on their heart. Now, I realize that there are exceptions, so please don't misunderstand. There are times when you need to seek out a, uh, a professional, and it doesn't always have to be a Christian. My medical doctor is not a Christian. I still go to him. Uh, you've got the same situation, right? Um, I'm just saying, though, when you're talking about um, in general, the way God has designed the body of Christ, it's to minister to itself, just like the human body ministers to itself. We have an immune system. We have different systems built into our body from God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when, the, when a foreign invader, some kind of a, of a virus or a bacterium invades our body, the body mobilizes to, to you know, purge the poison, uh, to heal the sickness. The body is designed by God to heal itself. Sometimes it can't, and the body dies. But as long as we will seek to heal ourselves, pray for each other, bear each other's burdens, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, this body is going to remain, I believe, healthy. Healthy. It's just important that we understand that the body of Christ was designed by God to care for, we're a family. He wants us to care about each other. He wants us to love and serve one another. Uh, a, a couple of the passages that we have read over and over in, in this study already, I'll read to you again. Uh, the first one, we're talking about joy. That's the topic. This is not something unique to Philippians. It's all over the New Testament. But uh, let me draw your attention back to John chapter 15. The night before Jesus went to the cross, they're on, they've left the upper room. They're on their way to the Mount of Olives, walking through the streets of Jerusalem. They stop at one point, John 15 records, to look at these incredible bronze doors shipped from Corinth uh, across the Aegean that were put up in the temple. And they had grape carvings on them. And remember, Passover always takes place at the time of the full moon. So Jesus stops and gives them a, one of the, a, a final discourse, um, including the vine and the branch discourse. And uh, we studied that, we studied John's gospel. But remember now, this is the final uh, discourse, teaching he's going to give them before the cross. And so he's hitting on all the important stuff. And um, he's talking about love and joy. And those are actually connected. They're like uh, flip sides of the same coin. 
They kind of go hand in hand in many respects, right? But John 15, verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, that's the key, my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my what? Joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. What's he talking about this commandment, or these commandments? Well, the one that was really on his mind that night is the one he shared earlier in the evening while they were still in the, up in the upper room in John 13. I'll read it to you. John 13, verses 34 and 35. He said to them, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. And the word is agape, God's love. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So this, the idea is that they were to love each other with God's love, and together, as they loved each other, they had this fellowship. And the fellowship was going to be a testimony to the world that they belonged, we belong to Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, this new commandment became the heart of a new community, the family of God. Look, once we accept Jesus as our Savior, of course we are brought into a love relationship with Him. But we are also brought into a love relationship with other Christians. That transcends, listen, race, geography, socioeconomics, and joins us together in a beautiful oneness and fellowship. We call it the body of Christ. Turn to 1 John 3. And I want to read to you, first of all, Ephesians 2.19. So while you're turning to 1 John 3, I'll read Ephesians 2.19, talking about how that we are part of this family now. Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. He's talking about in the kingdom of God. Fellow citizens with the saints and members, listen, of the household or the family of God. Now this family is built on his love. And that's where we go, 1 John 3. Let's pick it up in verse 16. By this we know love, God's love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up or hardens his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in that person? How does a person call themselves a Christian who has the means and sees a brother or sister in need and shuts up their hearts as well, you know? I'll be praying for you. Hope, hope it all works out. No, that's not true Christian love at all. My little children, let us love not in let us not love in word or in tongue, just through our words, but let us love in in, in deed and in truth. Guys, the Christian community, otherwise known as the local church, is a place, listen now, where the love of God the unity of the saints, and the power of the Holy Spirit all come together to become a dynamic force for good, to bring the light and love of Jesus to a lost and dying world. That's our mission, right? A mission we cannot fulfill 
without being in fellowship with each other. Look, just like a single Christian, excuse me, a single Christian, just like a single soldier, will never be able to defeat the armies of darkness that have amassed against us, and the numbers are getting larger. The more our country is open doors to the demonic, people playing with Ouija boards, tarot cards, Eastern mysticism, um, various other things, the occult, black magic, and so on. And now I hear I'm never, I've not, not been on TikTok ever in my life, but I hear on TikTok uh, the Chinese government is purposely pushing uh, Eastern religions to destroy a Christian nation. I believe the more our nation is open doors to the demonic, the demons have fluttered in, have taken control in many regards. We see chaos, we see confusion, we see violence. This is all because we have turned our backs on God as a nation. Pray for our nation. But I'm talking about we have been called to fight against the spiritual forces of darkness. No, no single Christian can do it, but the body of Christ collectively isn't going to do it if we're not in fellowship. If the devil can get us fighting with one another, uh, complaining, bickering, going at each other's throats, He's going to defeat us. He's going to win. Years ago, we had a, a family in the church. Their young daughter was friends with a young lady, about nine years old, from another church. And so she asked her mom if she could sleep over at her girlfriend's uh, family's house and then go to church with them that Sunday morning. They said, that's fine, because they knew this family. So this the, the, the little girl, who, you know, whose parents go to our church, they went to their church, and a big, ugly thing broke out. It had been brewing for a long time, but a big, ugly thing broke out that Sunday morning. All of a sudden, you had the elders screaming at the pastor over something, and uh, one of the elders went up, pinned the pastor against the wall with his elbow, his forearm to the pastor's neck in front of visitors. That church was not in fellowship, was not in unity. I think they folded. You can't have a church like that. Listen, when Christians unite, our, our, our strength is in our numbers. Our strength is in our numbers. When Christians unite in the power of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus promised us, against my church, the what? Gates of hell will not prevail. The devil can't beat a united church in true Christian fellowship. He knows that. He knows our strength is in our fellowship as Christian believers. And so Satan is trying and always has tried his best uh, to keep Christians away from the local church on a regular basis. Hebrews 10, 24 and 5 says, And let us consider one another... How do you consider one another if you don't know each other, right? Consider the idea is, um, consider what's going on in people's lives. Know them. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see 
the day approaching, the day of Christ's return. Guys, we are commanded in Scripture to be in fellowship. You know that? God didn't suggest it. He commanded it. Because he knew the only way we were going to be healthy and strong and victorious as individual believers is when we were in the body, functioning together in fellowship. A Christian who peels themselves away from the body of Christ thinking that they don't need the church. Um, you know, I you know, I was telling first service that Simon and Garfunkel, I'm an island. I'm a rock. I'm really showing my age here. Some, <laughs> a lot of you younger people are thinking, I don't even know what he's talking about. It's a pretty good song. Uh, you can go online and listen to it. Um, look. If that's where you're coming from, you're gravely mistaken. You cannot isolate yourself from the body and flourish spiritually. Any more than you can take a single cell out of a physical body, put it on a table somewhere, and expect it's going to flourish all by itself. It's going to die. It was created by God to function only in the context of the physical body as a whole. Same is true with us individual Christians. We are, we are designed by God to thrive and, and bear fruit in the context of the local church. I like what one pastor said. Well, let me just say this. We are commanded to be in fellowship. We just talked about that with other believers in the local church for the purpose, listen, of encouraging one another, keeping each other accountable, and using our gifts to build up and edify the church as a whole. That is our ministry to each other. I like what one pastor said. He said, and I quote, You say, I don't need koinonia. I've been a Christian for 14 years. I'm as strong and tall as a redwood tree. Really. Think about the redwood tree. Redwood trees appear invincible, but in reality, a relatively mild wind can topple one. You see, above the surface, redwoods seem strong, but their root systems are very, very shallow. That is why they always grow in groves. Their strength comes from interlocking their roots with one with other redwoods, end quote. Guys, the early church was strong because they were close-knit. And it was because they continued, listen, steadfastly together. What did they continue doing? Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly together in the apostles' teaching. They were in the word, in fellowship, communion, and prayer. A very simple formula for church life. We've really complicated it today. But they had a very simple formula which allowed them to have a lot of unity. Unfortunately, steadfastness is not a characteristic of many in the church today. Many believers reflect the attitude of the following letter, purportedly written by a faithful Christian member. Let me read it to you. Dear Pastor, you often stress the importance of attendance at worship, but I think a person has the right to miss now and then. I think every person ought to be excused for the following reasons and the number of days indicated. Christmas, one day. Death in the family, three days. Anniversary, one day. New Year's, one day. Easter, one day. Last day of school, one day. Fourth of July, one day. Labor Day, one. 
First day of school, one. Sleeping late, four days. <laughs> Memorial Day, one. Family reunions, couple days. Sickness, five days. Vacation, three. Business trips, three. Unexpected company, four. Bad weather, six days. Time changes, two. TV specials, three. Paul games, five. But you can count on us to be in church on the fourth Sunday of February and the third Sunday in August, unless it's a leap year or we're otherwise providentially hindered, end quote. Now look, funny, amusing, all right? We laugh, but that attitude is becoming more and more prevalent in the local church today. The reason that so many are staying away from the local church, putting COVID aside, that's over. We started live streaming during COVID, and it's really filled a void. There are people that cannot come out. Or when you're sick, it's great to be able to watch on your TV. But if you're not sick and you're in town, you need to be at church. And don't let the devil tell you that COVID's going to get you. COVID is done. So putting that aside, a lot of people are staying home from church. Why is that? Well, because many of these people have been hurt, mistreated, ignored in some way, or had some other bad experience in a local church um, somewhere, which has caused them to be turned off to the idea of church in general, and Christian fellowship in particular. So they stop coming to church altogether, or they keep going incessantly from one church to the other, looking for the perfect church, a place where they will never be hurt ever again. A church like that doesn't exist. Guys, remember, a church is just a group of sinners saved by grace. Christians are far from perfect. We are all growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and unfortunately, that means that churches aren't free from selfishness and gossip and petty bickering. Problems and conflicts are bound to happen from time to time. Hence, the admonition across the New Testament, telling us as believers to be patient with one another, loving and forgiving them as Christ has forgiven us. Look, I have a solution. I know how to achieve a perfect church. It's not that difficult. You want to have a problem-free church? Just get rid of all the people. Now you laugh, but I believe the Holy Spirit inspired Solomon to give us a little pearl of wisdom that on the surface of it, we read and go, well, that's got nothing to do with church, but I believe it's got a lot to do with church. Let me read it to you. Proverbs 14, verse 4, without oxen, the stable is clean. It stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. You want to keep the church clean, just get rid of all the people. But then don't expect to get too much work done for the kingdom. Right? A church 
is a family. And families are messy. Your personal family is, your church family is also. We'll talk more about that quickly at the end of, this, of the study. But listen, if we come together and there's a problem going around in the church um, that hinders or even threatens to destroy our fellowship, our unity, look, we're not to bail and take off and find a new church. People do that all the time, but that's not the answer. Sometimes you may have to leave a church because they've gotten into heresy and you're not going to be able to stay there. I, I get that. I'm talking about people bailing on their local church for any reason. We had a, a woman leave the church years ago because on a Sunday morning, and she had, her and her husband had been here for a little while. And you know, on Sunday morning, I, uh, my mind is, pre it's before church, my mind's preoccupied and I'm just running from place to place getting things ready. And, uh, and uh, so she said to me, uh, good morning, Pastor Phil. I forgot her name, but her husband's name, I think, was George. And I said, uh, good morning, Mrs. George. Now, that offended her. But I didn't call her by her right name. And they left the church. And I'm like, you know, there are people who are hypersensitive. And again, as much as is possible and depends on you live peaceably with all men, sometimes it's just not possible. Some people are so hypersensitive, no matter what you do, they're going to get offended and leave. I get that. But most of the body of Christ is not like that. We should be able to, you know, overlook things, you know, and work together for the sake of unity. But, um, but when there is a problem, you don't bail. You deal with it. Whatever it is uh, that's hindering our fellowship, you deal with it biblically, humbly, and in love, for the sake of unity. Jesus even gave us the guidelines to follow for conflict resolution in the church, Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. But guys, we are commanded to labor, to work hard, to stay in unity with one another in the local church, even as Paul the Apostle admonished us in Ephesians chapter 4, if you turn there quickly. And I want you to turn to this one because this is one of the, the big passages that really hits this. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3. Paul said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Remember, he wrote Ephesians while he was in prison in Rome. It's one of the four prison epistles. Philippians is one, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. So he said, therefore, the prisoner, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's laying out the parameters to maintain fellowship, which is maintained through unity in the local church. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me say this. The only way for a church to remain in good fellowship with one another is through the cross. The cross is the key to fellowship in the Spirit. We all know what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Fellowship 
is both vertical, your relationship with God, and horizontal, your relationship with other believers. When you bring the vertical and the horizontal together, they form a cross, which should remind us that it's the cross that makes our fellowship with God and with each other possible. I like what uh, one commentator I enjoy reading, James Montgomery Boyce, said about this. He said, and I quote, Fellowship with God and true fellowship with other, with other believers go together. That is why John said in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 3, We want you to have fellowship with us, body of Christ. Our fellowship is with the Father and His Son. He goes on, some people have said the stronger your vertical fellowship, your relationship with God is, the stronger your horizontal fellowship will be. If you find yourself out of fellowship with God, you will begin to find yourself out of fellowship with other Christians, especially your spouse. Especially your spouse. You will say, I don't really like to be with other Christians very much. They all seem to be hypocrites. You will begin to drift off. But if you come close to God, you will inevitably find yourself being drawn close to other Christians. And it works the other way, too. If you spend time with other Christians, if you share a great deal with them, that fellowship will help you draw, uh, draw you closer to the Father, end quote. I do believe it all starts with the vertical axis. If your vertical axis is right, if it's straight and true, if your relationship with God is really where it should be, then the horizontal axis of your life... All your interpersonal relationships will come into balance. My pastor used to say this all the time. If your vertical axis is tilted, crooked, it's going to bring the horizontal. All your personal relationships are going to be out of whack. Get right with God, everything comes into balance. It's the cross principle, right? Now, I know that some of you here are thinking, but it's hard for me to make new friends. I get that. Some people are introverts. It's hard for people to make Friends, some people. But understand what Proverbs 18.24 says. If you want friends, you have to show yourself friendly. I know it's hard, but with Christ, all things are what? Possible. I know it's hard. If you're still feeling, I don't know if I can do that, you think about what you're missing out on. Let me, let me read you uh, a poem. A poem? Yeah, guys, a poem. I realize it's going to probably appeal to the women more than you. But just for a minute, try to get in touch with your feminine side. The only feminine side I have is when I walk next to my wife. I get that. All right. Here. I'll read you this little poem. All right. Old friends are best. I do agree. But to this fact, I'll hold. That everything must first be new before it can be old. That old friend whom you love so much, who's staunch and true and bold, was brand new on the day you met, though now you call him old. How you doing, guys? <laughs> so make new friends each passing day. The years quickly unfold. And new friends whom you make today, you'll soon be calling old. All right. There's a good thought there. All right. may not be something you're going to have put on a t-shirt but it's, it's a good thought there okay and I'm wondering how many dear old friends we never will know because we didn't make the effort to make them a friend in the first place a new friend 
Jesus told us that loving the brethren, and this is only possible with God's love made possible by a close, intimate fellowship. So Jesus told us, and we're talking about joy, Jesus told us that loving the brethren, being in close fellowship with them, is one of the keys to joy in the Christian life. Now let me say this, and we're almost done. Let me say this. When we talk about fellowship, I want you to understand something. It has to have a purpose. Paul said in our passage, I'm joyful for your fellowship in what? The gospel. From the first day until now. Again, biblical fellowship is not an end in itself. It's connected to a purpose. In this case, sharing the gospel with the lost. In the past, people have asked us, in the past, people have come to us and asked us to organize special events in the church where people can get together and fellowship with each other. And we have refused because those events tend to stray from a spiritual focus and devolve rather quickly into simply getting together to talk about politics, business, sports, or even spreading discord and gossip. We believe that fellowship, biblical Christian fellowship in the church needs to revolve around a spiritual endeavor, Bible study, small group, evangelization of the lost, or even like we're getting ready for our homeless ministry to go on Saturday before uh, Easter to the homeless shelter to uh, provide a meal. And we have a whole bunch of folks going down there uh, to, to help pass out food to the homeless. And that's a great time to fellowship with each other because there's a spiritual purpose that the fellowship is being organized around. Look, I'm not saying you can't go out with another Christian to a, uh, to a restaurant and talk about whatever you want as long as it's, it's not, obviously, wouldn't, I'm sure you guys wouldn't do it, but it's, it's got to be a sanctified uh, speech, right? You can talk about your business, you can talk about sports, um, whatever you want. I just want you to realize at that point, you have moved from the realm of spiritual fellowship and now you're socializing. You're just two friends socializing. You say, was that wrong? No, it's not wrong uh, unless it gets you know, kind of unsanctified. It's not wrong, but understand we're talking about Christian fellowship which builds us up and better prepares us to do the work God's calling us to do, where we encourage one another, we pray for one another, we bear each other's burdens, and so on and so forth. The goal or the idea is to help where we are greater equipped to build the kingdom. That's the idea. Not that socializing is a wrong thing. It's not. But we're talking about Christian fellowship. Let me read to you, and then we'll close, what author Warren Worsby said on the subject. And I thought this was good. I think he encapsulated pretty well what we're talking about. He said, and I quote, The word fellowship simply means to have in common. But true Christian fellowship is really much deeper than sharing coffee or pie, uh, coffee and pie, or even enjoying a golf game together. Too often what we think is fellowship is really only acquaintanceship or friendship. 
You cannot have fellowship with someone unless you have something in common. And for Christian fellowship, this means the possessing of eternal life within the heart. Unless a person has trusted Christ as his Savior, he or she knows nothing of the fellowship of the gospel. In Philippians 2 verse 1, Paul writes about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Because when a person is born again, he, she receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is also the fellowship of sufferings, Paul talks about in Philippians 3.10. When we share what we have with others, this is also a form of Christian fellowship. He said, so true Christian fellowship is much more than having a name on a church roll or being present at a meeting. It is possible to be close to people physically and be miles away from them spiritually. One of the sources of Christian joy is this fellowship that believers have in Jesus Christ. Paul was in Rome. His friends were miles away in Philippi, but their spiritual fellowship was real and satisfying. When you have this mindset, this is what we're talking about. Remember the mind? So important in all these things we're talking about. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. When you have this mindset, you will not complain about circumstances, as Paul didn't, because you know that difficult circumstances will result in the strengthening of the fellowship of the gospel, end quote. All right, let's end with verse 6 quickly. Remember the context. I am thankful to God. I have joy in my heart because of our fellowship in the gospel. Being confident, verse 6, of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will, listen, complete it until the day of Christ. Look, it was a source of joy to Paul to know that God was still working in the lives of fellow believers in Philippi. The work he had planted was going great and was bearing fruit. The one thing that gives a Christian great joy, besides our salvation, of course, is to experience God's work, God working in our lives from day to day. I mean, isn't that... <laughs> God lays somebody in your heart. You haven't seen this person in 20 years. So you start praying for them. A few days later, you bump into them at the store or something. It gives you an opportunity to catch up, tell them what God's done in your life. Maybe a door opens for you to witness to them, give them the gospel. But you realize, I, I haven't thought about that person in years. God laid them on my heart. I've been praying for them the last few days, last week. And now I bump into them. God's at work. God is using me. There's joy there, isn't there? To know that you are being used by God. Listen, guys, we're all a work in progress. We're all a work. That's really what Paul is saying in Philippians 1, verses 1 to 3. Uh, 1 to uh, 6, I should say. We are all a work in progress, a work that God started in our lives the moment we gave our heart to Christ, a work that's going to be finished, completed, Listen. When Jesus comes through his church at the time of the rapture, Paul says it here. He who has begun a good work in you will finish it up the day of Christ. I believe that's a reference to the rapture. So listen. I know that we're not all that we want to be yet. I get that. And don't you know the devil loves to use that as he pushes the buttons and gets us to fall into sin through temptation. So that when we fall into sin, he can be right there to point an accusing finger at us, condemning us. 
like you did with Peter. What you do is you don't lay there and let them kick you and beat on you. You confess your sin to God, you repent, you get up, and you move forward in the Spirit. It's very important that we understand it. Whenever the devil comes against you and begins to condemn you for some failure in your life, just remember, no, you're not all, and I am not all that we want to be yet. But we are certainly not all that we used to be either. There is progress. He who has it has begun, begun a good work. It's not finished yet. It won't be until the rapture. And let me just say this as we close. We're talking about family, being a family in Christ, fellowship, unity. Look, families can be difficult. I'm, I'm sure that nobody in this room can say amen to that. Families can be difficult. Families can be messy. And at times, families can hurt us like nobody else can hurt us because they know us. But I'll tell you this right now. I think most of us, if we had an opportunity given to us by God to be completely removed from our families for the rest of our lives on the earth, I think most of us would opt to remain in our family. We know it's messy. We know it's hard. And, and we know that people we love us can hurt us. But they're our family. We are connected to them in a way that nobody else understands but us. And I'd rather work with my family and love my family and pray for my family than to bail on my family. Now, that's your biological family. You have a spiritual family here. And I would ask you to treat us the same way you would treat your biological family. There's a problem you don't bail. You work together to solve the problem. You forgive each other. You pray for one another. Again, you bear each other's burdens. Laugh with those who laugh. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards each other. That's what a family does. And there is joy in that kind of fellowship. There's no joy in bailing on your family and regretting it the rest of your life. May God give us grace. Father, we thank you for our families. Yes, our biological families, and also our family in Christ. Give us grace, Lord, to not be a part of the problems in our families, but to be part of the answer. Give us grace not to be troublemakers, but to be trouble healers. And give us a great love, your love in our hearts for our earthly families, but also for our heavenly family. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.